As we come together to worship, I want to focus our thoughts on something that the, the king says to Daniel at the end of this section of Daniel chapter 2. Because I don't know about you where you are at the moment, with, with you, where you feel your life is, with whether you feel you're in the crisis or whether you feel you're in the trials or the testings or whether things are going well or whatever's happening. But as we come to it this morning, thinking about this section of, of Scripture, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 47, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. What we see here, and from this section in Daniel chapter 2 that we will discover as we study together this morning, is that God is the revealer of mysteries, and also that he is the one who is in control of all things. That he is able to work with us in our lives, that we can look to him, we can trust him, knowing that he is in control. No matter what it feels like, no matter, he's able to walk with us through those times to help us and to encourage us. I want us to pray, so let's, let's pray together. Our God, we come before you this morning as the God who is infinite and eternal. You have no beginning and no ending. You know all things, including every detail of our lives. You know when we stand up and when we sit down. You know our thoughts even before we think them. You, our God, are able to be in all places. You are all-powerful. Nothing happens without you knowing about it. There is nothing that we can hide from you and no place that we can go to be out of your presence. We come before you acknowledging our own weaknesses and our frailties. We are limited in our strength, our courage, and our commitment. We fail to love and serve you in the ways that we should. We ask our God that you would search us and see if there is anything in us that causes you offence. And then lead us in, in your everlasting ways. As we come to worship today, our God, we, we want to bring to you and, and pray for the people of India as they come to terms with the spread of this virus, particularly with the shortage of oxygen, especially in the hospitals. We ask that you would give them wisdom, particularly to those who are making decisions in government that they might be able to alleviate the situation and provide for the needs of those who are needy. Father, we are concerned too about our own province and the rise of violence on our streets. We pray for greater influence for those in our communities who are seeking to work for the good of, of our communities. We pray that our politicians would provide good leadership and an example of how to build positive relationships. We pray for those working with young people in our churches and even here in Carmoney, that they too might be able to impact those young people for good. Father, too, we pray for protection for our young people in our community, that they would not be led, into, led astray into ways which will impact their lives in future days. 
Father, we pray too for those who are fighting the fires in the Mourn Mountains. We ask that you would help them as they seek to stop the fire and protect the environment from further damage. Father, too, we also want to pray for the family of, of Roy Linus. We pray for his children, Sharon and David, and for the wider family circle at this time of bereavement. We ask that you would bring them comfort and hope through the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would supply all of their needs at this time. Our God, we look to you today and we ask that you would hear our prayers because we pray them in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to turn to uh, Daniel. And it's Daniel chapter 2 and verse 36. I'm going to read from the New International Version. So Daniel 2, verse 36. Again, as I said, you can read the other verses, perhaps whenever you go home, if you haven't had a chance to read them already yet. Uh, We step into the story at the point where uh, Daniel has just explained the dream and what it means to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, well, he's he's now going to tell him what it actually means. So it's chapter 2 of Daniel and verse 36. It says, this was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, Next, a third, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some some of the strength of iron in it even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. This is God's word for us this morning. 
Again, that's the, the story of the interpretation of the dream, which you read about earlier in this section in Daniel. Please do read through that so that you get as much out of this as, as, you, as God is able to, to show you. So let's, let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning of studying your word. We ask you would help us to understand what you're saying to us, that we might be able to see you, the one who is the revealer of mysteries, the one who is in control of all things, and that we can trust you. We can look to you in faith and know that you're able to draw alongside us to bring us that strength and grace and encouragement that we need, especially whenever we are in the fire or in the crisis. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you sleep all right last night? I don't know, maybe, maybe you had a really good sleep. Or maybe, maybe you didn't get too many hours. Maybe you were one of those people that doesn't get too much sleep at night. Well, did you have a dream? Do you remember what your dream was, what your dream was about? I wonder, can you think why you dreamt about what you dreamt about if you did dream? And you can't remember it. Dreaming. I don't know. I, I was a bit panicked last night, actually, because it was, I knew it was coming here, half nine start for the first service and all the rest of it. And I thought, it's one of those nights I'm going to have one of those dreams. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes dreams can work out that, that I end up, it kind of finishes up where I'm in the place. I'm either standing here like this, or I'm ready to, to preach and I discover I haven't prepared my sermon. And then you're thinking, oh gosh, what have I been doing? All, what's been happening? And you start to panic. And sometimes those dreams can come whenever you're in a place that you feel a bit stressed or you feel, I don't know, what things that are going on. But Nebuchadnezzar, well, he's a bit stressed here actually. And he has this dream. But there is a danger here in thinking that Daniel 2 is all about dreams and the interpretation of them. And it's easy, based on this narrative story, to kind of try and build a theology about what we think about dreams and all the rest of it and interpreting them. And whenever, in fact, that's not what the primary reason of what this is about. This, is, this passage is narrative and is not instructing us in what we all should be experiencing. Trimmer Longman, in, in his commentary, says about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says this, It is not the content of the revelation of the future that is primary. What is most important here is that it is only Daniel's God that knows the future. So this narrative, this story, is not about the dreams necessarily. It's about God who reveals the future. And that fits in with the overall theme of the book. In spite of appearances, God is in control. I don't know, maybe that's something I need to hear this morning. Maybe it's something you need to hear this morning as we look at our circumstances, as we think about what's going on, that God is in control and that he is the revealer of mysteries. 
And this is not saying that because God is in control, well, well I can then say, well, God, everything is going to change. God is going to take away all those difficult times. And That's not what God is in control is about. God is able to walk beside us, walk along with us through those times to give us the grace that we need. If you remember Paul, whenever he was praying and asking God to take away his thorn in the flesh, and God said, no. Three times he asked me, he said, no. But my strength is going to be sufficient for you. I'm going to walk with, the, walk with you through this. But we also see too Daniel serving as a role model for God's people living in a foreign culture, which was not easy. Away from home and outside of all that they would have known and, and their relationship with God and all the rest of it, how their faith was going to work out within this context. Again, we're reminded of those words in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, where it says, Remember the things that I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is no one like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. This is the God that we come before this morning. Not the God created in our own minds, or, but the God who has revealed himself in this way. So let's, let's delve into this section of Daniel chapter 2. What do we know about Nebuchadnezzar? Well, David Helm in his commentary says, tells us a wee bit about Nebuchadnezzar. He's about 30 years old, apparently. Quite a bit younger than I am, anyway. But um, He ruled the world's most powerful empire, having just defeated the Assyrian Empire. He was a very religious man, apparently, who prayed to the ancient deities. And his god was a god called Marduk. And actually, Nebuchadnezzar himself was named after uh, the Babylonian god of wisdom, Nabu. But Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream one night. In the second year of his reign, and we're told, and basically there are similarities with Joseph's dream in Genesis 41, or whenever Pharaoh was dreaming about the seven, the seven cows. But this dream of Nebuchadnezzar's highlights Nebuchadnezzar's insecurities. Dreams can do that. They can highlight our insecurities. Ronald Wallace suggests that Nebuchadnezzar is an example of the deep hidden sense of insecurity which can drive a man to drink, to ever unsatisfied acquisitiveness, to the inordinate pursuit of pleasure, to irrational anger, to behavior towards family and friends that is strange and ominous. This dream so deeply troubles Nebuchadnezzar to the extent that he calls together the people that he assumes will be able to help him to try and understand it. He may be thinking that the gods are wanting to communicate with him something important about the future. And so he demands the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to come and tell him what the dream was and what it means for him. And he is serious because he tells of the consequences if they don't do it. They will be torn limb from limb. Their homes will be turned to rubble. Or they would receive great gifts from him. 
Nebuchadnezzar was looking for something and he knew as the astrologers and the wise people told him, only the gods can tell us this. And they don't live amongst us, they say. So their failure to provide answers lead the king to demanding executions, including Daniel and his friends. And so people are sent to find them to do that. Nebuchadnezzar at this point is looking for wisdom. He's troubled and he's distressed as a result of his dream and he's getting angrier by the minute. No one seems to be able to tell him what's happening. Stress does that, doesn't it? People's lives are being threatened here. And whenever we're under pressure, whenever we're in the crisis, the danger for us is that we become intolerable, not dealing well with the pressure. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is highlighting something in him that he's struggling with. Isn't that the danger? Whenever we start to look for the answers for ourselves and try to sort the thing out, try to deal with the stress or the, the crisis that we're dealing with, we become so engrossed in it. We're looking for answers. We're running around trying to get people to tell us what's going on and we, uh, and we just become more and more frustrated and angrier. And so what's to happen now? I suppose in verses 14 to 23, we see what, what happens. Because Daniel is in a foreign land and he's under threat. The king is looking for him like all the other advisors. And so the question for Daniel is, well, how is my faith going to work out in this situation? What does my faith say in this, in this crisis? As, as we are often asked in our own situations, well, you're going through this experience, you're going through this difficulty. What is your faith saying? What is God saying to you about this situation? How is your faith going to work through in this situation or this circumstance that you're struggling in? And so Roland Wallace in his commentaries tells us this. He says that Daniel steps into the place of leadership and God provides the wisdom he needs and the authority to lead and to know what to do. So for Daniel, his faith works out as God leads him and he's able to lead others. And even though Daniel's life is threatened, he seems to be very calm. He seems to deal very well with the situation. He doesn't get flustered. He doesn't start panicking and get uptight. And he seeks to find out what has actually happened. And so he asks the question, what's going on here? And then he turns to God to find the answer. He knows his limitations. He knows he is weak. He knows he is not able to provide the answers. And so now he's going to look to his God. He's going to trust the living God. Remember he did that in chapter one? There's a history there of doing that. Whenever the crisis comes, he looks to God. And so Ariok is looking for Daniel. 
And Daniel asks why it's all happening, discovering that the king wants to have a dream interpreted. Nobody's able to interpret it for him, and so he's got angry, and he wants everybody to, to die. But Daniel then asks for time to think through this and come up with some answers. He knows that no human can provide the answers that the king is looking for. He knows also that God is able to provide those answers. And so Daniel seeks God and he encourages his friends as well to do the same. What a response to a crisis. He goes and he seeks God. And, and I mean, thinking about the situation, the king has asked for, him to, for somebody to go and tell him what his dream was and then also tell him the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel goes in faith and asks, God, Lord, would you provide me with the answer here? It's also amazing, I find. What does Daniel do next? After he prays to God asking for the answer, Daniel prays and then he goes to bed to sleep. And I'm thinking, my goodness. You know, he's bound to be stressed and under pressure. But he goes, he, he seems to be able to go to bed and go to sleep. But it's at that point, as he's sleeping, that God gives him the answer. And God gives Daniel the answer in a vision as he's sleeping. Remember the words of Daniel 1 and verse 17, which tell us that God gave Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. And this is the reality of that working out, the gift that God had given Daniel. In the same way that he gives us all gifts and we've all got to use them. So this is the gift that God has given Daniel that he's about to use. But then Daniel prays again. before going to speak to Nebuchadnezzar about what he's been told. His prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. He comes in gratitude to God for God answering his prayer. It's so easy to forget to express our gratitude to God for our answers to prayer, isn't it? We get so caught up in the crisis, so focused on trying to get it sorted and get it fixed, and then whenever the crisis is finished, we forget who it was that dealt with it. Daniel expresses his gratitude to God. And he does that in that prayer. And it's Trumper Longman who, who points out that Daniel in his prayer highlights two aspects of God's character which are pivotal in this chapter and also then the rest of the book. The first thing is that God is powerful. He acknowledges God's power. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is where he is because God has placed him there. That's what he's recognizing. And also that God is wise because Daniel can only describe Nebuchadnezzar's dream because God has revealed it to him. God knows what he has done. But notice it's the closeness of the relationship that Daniel has with God that sustains Daniel through this experience. The communication lines are open with God and he uses them. He doesn't run off into a corner and hide 
thinking, oh, this is terrible, this is awful. I I don't know how I'm going to deal with this and be overcome with that. Nor does he take the situation into his own hands and and frantically try to sort it out as as we often can do. We run around trying to, to work out answers and what we're going to do and what the next step is and he doesn't do that. He talks to God. He talks to others. He keeps the communication line open with God and God then reveals the answer to him. And so in verses 24 to 30, having had the dream and its interpretation revealed to him, (laughs) Daniel now just has to go to the king and tell him. Can you imagine? An exile going to the king to tell him what this dream was and what it means? Because Daniel then goes to Arioch and tells him, look, I, I want to go and tell the king what this is about. I want you to tell the king not to kill all the wise men, the astrologers and the enchanters and the magicians, everybody. Don't, don't kill them. Because I can tell the king the dream and the meaning. And you're thinking, well, well why on earth would he do that? Why, why did he tell the king not to kill all the others? And some suggest that that's God's love in action. Do you remember what Jesus tells us to do? To love our enemies? That the outworking of that is here. That he doesn't want these people killed. He wants them to know of God's message too. And so Eric takes Daniel to the king. And again, David Helm points out the two things that uh, Daniel shows as he enters the king's presence, which are really important. He says, Daniel is humble and seeks to give honor to God. This is not about Daniel. This is not about Nebuchadnezzar. This is not about a dream. This is about God. And he wants everybody to recognize that. The focus is God. And then Daniel is willing to speak the truth to power. He's prepared to go and speak to the king whose God was Marduk, but he was going to talk about his God and tell him the the dream and the message of it. And so Daniel's introductory comments to the king affirm that no one can tell the king the dream. Not a a person on earth can do that, he says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, he tells Nebuchadnezzar. As a result of this, I will now tell you your dream and the vision that you saw as you lay in your bed. What it means. Verse 28. And so he says to him, your dream was about coming events and God is showing you what is going to happen. And I'm able to do that, not because I'm wiser than anybody else, but because God wants you to understand what's in your heart. This is not about me, Daniel says. This is about what God or who God is and what God wants to say to you, Nebuchadnezzar. And he does want to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. And so what we are witnessing here is that God wants to speak with the king of Babylon. David Helm points out that Daniel tells the king that God is speaking to him through his dream. God wants to speak to a foreign king, leader of an empire, which is a world different to Daniel's and to Israel. 
God wants to communicate with Nebuchadnezzar. I, th- I, I find that incredible. The leader of that, that world power at the time, through Daniel, through this dream, God wants to say something very important to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know, that's the truth for us as well. God wants to communicate his truth with all people in his world. We're told God so loved the world. And so therefore the challenge for us is to ensure that all people know that God is speaking to them and wants to speak to them, to communicate. And he does that through Jesus Christ. As we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that God has spoken his final word to us through Jesus Christ. Isn't that the challenge for us? Just as Daniel, as an exile, had to go into the presence of the king to tell him what God was saying to him. So we are called to share that good news without fear or favor. And it's our own communication with God and our trust in him which puts the priority in this, enables us to fear no one and share that good news with them. But Daniel then tells Nebuchadnezzar the content of the dream, which was frightening, actually. If you don't know the dream, the dream has basically two elements to it. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar standing in front of this massive, shining statue, uh, like a man standing in front of him. And it's made up of different materials. Gold is the head and bronze and iron, which, which you said earlier. But then there's a second part to the, the dream whenever uh, he saw a stone or a rock which wasn't cut with human hands. Those two elements of the dream are really important because the dream is about the coming kingdom of God, which, is represented, which represents the, the, the fulfillment of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus whenever he establishes his kingdom, God's kingdom. And this kingdom, which is spoken about in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7, which sometimes we read at Christmas time, speaking about the everlasting kingdom. But this statue, or this shining statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, is man-made of, of, go, of uh, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and baked clay. Each of these represented succeeding kingdoms after the Babylonian kingdom. The gold head represented the strongest and represented Nebuchadnezzar's or Babylon's kingdom. But each of them will fall. They will succumb to the rock which will eventually cover the whole earth and become a great mountain. Now, identifying those kingdoms is not the primary thing here. Rather, it's establishing that God and his kingdom is sovereign. That he is in control despite present circumstances. Ronald Wallace in his commentary says that what was important to Daniel was focusing Nebuchadnezzar's mind not on the four kingdoms, but on the inevitability of the coming and the triumph of the kingdom of God. The message for Nebuchadnezzar was that his kingdom was set up by God and that one day it would be replaced in God's plan. All earthly kingdoms, whether it's the four or any others, are limited and will give way to Christ's eternal kingdom. 
whole earthly kingdoms will give way to Christ's. Sometimes we think maybe that doesn't really apply to me in the sense that, well, it's about kings. Actually, Ronald Wallace says this, that this statue can stand for all our little empires, domestic, social, business, financial, or ecclesiastical, in the midst of which some of us sit enthroned, trying to find security and satisfaction. We all have those wee kingdoms, don't we? Where we sit enthroned and we want them to provide satisfaction, and sometimes they don't. Maybe it has to do with something domestic or social or business or financial or, or even church life. And we are kings in those kingdoms. All earthly kingdoms will, call, will fall. And he adds here that it, it can stand merely for the image of our own future. Because nothing will last forever except the kingdom of God and the life that he gives to us. In this dream, the statue is contrasted with the rock which will replace all other kingdoms. John Calvin says that Daniel wants to teach that the kingdoms of this world are transient and there is only one eternal kingdom. You see, the rock represents the kingdom which God will set up, which will last forever and will crush all other kingdoms. Do you remember whenever, I think it's the start of Mark's gospel, Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom and challenges us to make preparations. He says, repent, believe, for the kingdom of God is near. I was challenged by what David Helm the point that he makes here, because he says, you know, thinking about this kingdom and and the fall of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and replaced by other kings and ultimately replaced by Christ's kingdom, he makes the point that traditionally Christians have interpreted this passage as showing a sovereign God ready to smash Nebuchadnezzar because of his many sins. That it's all about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom falling because he's been sinful and done wrong things and all the rest of it and God's going to come in judgment. And then ultimately Christ's kingdom will be established over all the evil kingdoms. What David Helm says is this. Rather than that, the dream was meant to announce to Nebuchadnezzar the good news of his own rule and the very good news of God's coming kingdom. The fact that God had set up this kingdom and that's why he refers to it as the gold head because God had set him in the place that he had given him. But that kingdom wouldn't last. And it would be replaced, and ultimately be replaced by God's kingdom. You know, this is true for all of us, isn't it? As God gives us the time that we have on this earth as a gift, it won't last forever. It will come to an end. It will be replaced with his kingdom whenever we, whenever we enter by faith. We need to make sure that we are not only focused on this life and this kingdom and this world because Daniel 2 tells us that God's kingdom is coming. I remember um, 
Ruth and I, my wife, we used to support a little girl from Rwanda through one of those um, plans. And we would have got letters uh, from, from the person. I mean, this girl was, she was really, really quite young, teenager or whatever. And um, I remember getting a letter and, and sitting up in my study, reading it. And I came to the last line. And this is what it said. May God grant you time to prepare for his kingdom. May God grant you time to prepare for his kingdom. I must have, I nearly fell off the chair whenever I read that. Because my assumption is, well, plenty of time. Plenty of time to... And yet here she's saying, may God grant you time to prepare for his kingdom. I think that's the message of, of Daniel, isn't it? God is in control. It's his kingdom that will be established. This is not a message of judgment, but of salvation for all, and Nebuchadnezzar included. Isn't that what God says? And as we read John 3.16, but also John 3.17, which reminds us that I came not to condemn, but to bring salvation. The rock that we're speaking of reminds us of Jesus whenever we're told to the wise man built his, his house upon the rock. So we build our lives on the rock that is Jesus, that kingdom. But also Jesus is the chief cornerstone which the, the church and our lives are built. But then as we see, the, the, the section concludes as Nebuchadnezzar throws himself before Daniel. He acknowledges, truly your God is the greatest of gods, a Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to to reveal this secret. Daniel shows us the impact of a man who was prepared to look to God in faith, to seek him for guidance and answers, who praised him whenever he received the answers, who was prepared to say what God had revealed to him despite what it might have cost him in the presence of the king. Daniel was an example of a living faith in a different culture. What about Nebuchadnezzar? Again, it's Ronald Wallace who suggests that his behavior helps us to realize that sometimes a religious experience can stimulate an impressive response at a superficial level and yet leave us untouched in the depths of our being. While he was able to experience the reality of God in his life and hear what God had to say to him, it didn't really have any deep impact because as we read on, he, he goes back into his situation. The truth is that we are able to find our life and our purpose, our hope and our security in this God who reveals mysteries, in this God who is the control of all things. We look to him he helps us to make sense of our world through the mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we're told in Corinthians that Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. And that that happens through the cross and through the resurrection. He is our hope. I want to encourage you this morning. Our series is In the, in the Crisis. Maybe you feel you are going through the crisis. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're not. But wherever you are, whether it's in the crisis or not, let's look to the God who reveals mysteries.
Let's look to the God who is in control in the way that Daniel did so that he helps us to make sense of our lives and that we find our purpose and our fulfillment in him as part of his kingdom, which will be eternal, which will last forever. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come to you and we thank you for your word and for the encouragement that you give to us, that you are the revealer of mysteries, that you're the God who is in control. So help us to have that focus as we go out from this place. Father, whether we're in this building or whether we're watching online, that we might know you as the one who is able to, to walk with us through our lives and that we can trust you just as Daniel did. So help us to have that focus as we look to you in faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together again as we come to sing.